So welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. This is your host, Dave Swillam. You're listening to episode 102 today on the podcast. And uh, we're kicking it off. And it's not really a new season, but it's like past 100 is something for me. It means something for me. So it's like we're kicking it off with this new stuff here after we had that little, you know, 100th episode type of thing there. So thank you guys so much. You are hanging out on social here tonight. Definitely feel free to ask questions and things, and we'll we'll probably be in the middle of stuff, but we'll kind of circle back to things as we go here. But thank you for tuning in live. Thank you for listening to the show so far. So last episode, we had John MacArthur from Greenhouse and The Unlabel. And this episode here, we actually have on one of his artists. So it's going to be an interesting... I told I told John that if you... Uh, if you had some shit talk or something, we'd keep it on the <laughs> down, like the inside, inside the unlabel. Be like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so tonight while we, we do lives. On, <laughs> yeah, while we're live. <laughs> like, shh, don't, don't look at my social. Tonight we have on a, I say local artist, but I don't know how else to explain it. But we have, we have Cameo on, who is a, an artist from, New, are you originally from New Hampshire? I'm originally from Massachusetts. Okay, but New Hampshire based right now. New Hampshire is my home. Awesome. Sort of. I mean, COVID kind of messed that up, but sure. Roaming is your home. Yeah, <laughs> I um, have many homes. <laughs> you know, so we've got a, a local artist on tonight and Cameo is on this label that we talked about on the last episode. And she's got a lot of different aspects that have made up her life and, and gotten her into her art that make make an interesting story to tell. And definitely like right now, she's releasing a new single next week, I think on the second right? Uh, the song comes out digitally on April 1st and the music video comes out on April 2nd. Totally. So we, we've caught her at a time in her life where she's fresh and on the move. And, and I thought it would be great to have her on the show and talk through lots of different things. So welcome Cameo to the podcast. Thanks for being on tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm, I said this to you earlier, but I've heard you're a great interviewer. So I'm excited to uh, experience that firsthand. Oh um, man. And get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> the pressure. The pressure's yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully I can I can stand up to that. Maybe I have bad nights or good nights. I don't know. We all do. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. So Cameo, for people that are hanging out on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, people that haven't heard your music or they haven't run into you in the scene like I have, who is Cameo? What, how did you get into doing music? I think you've been doing it full time. I know that you were talking earlier before the show started about just like the past couple of months and stuff like that, but you've been doing music full time for a little bit as a local artist, which is killer. Thanks. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't, there, there's so many questions there to answer. So I'll, I'll start with the why I went full time and then I'll kind of talk about what that process has been for me. I, for my entire life, I've loved singing. I have loved performing. I loved being on stage. Wanted to, I mean, I did musical theater. I was, I played trumpet for eight years, all the different things. I started teaching myself guitar in grade school, kind of like casually, just because I wanted to be like my 
brother who played. And then I actually started teaching myself in college, which is also when I started writing songs with, with music connected to it. So I, but I'd always been a songwriter since, I mean, I, I remember writing songs in elementary school. So being a creative and using uh, lyrics and music as a way to express myself has always come very naturally to me. I, on the flip side of that, spent much of my life uh, performing in a different way, pretending to be somebody for other people, trying to be what I want, thought people expected of me and wanted of me. I came across as being very confident. And in reality, I just, I was very self-conscious and I was confident for the sake of getting approval or earning people's love and affection or worth and value very externally. So as I went through grade school and through college and into my mid twenties, which a lot of stuff happened in those years that we can definitely talk about as well. I got to a point where I had been nannying full time for a while and I had been doing music part time, which mostly meant going to tons of open mics regularly and writing more music. Most of my pretty much from college when I started playing guitar is when I really started to have an increase of uh, creative output musically. In college, you're saying? Yes. Okay. And then in my mid, like I said, my mid to late 20s is when I started doing, I would say music part-time, which was mostly just open mics, but with the occasional opportunity to to do a gig at a farmer's market or at a coffee shop or just random little things. The summer of 2018, I had a series of three different encounters with three, three, three different, like wonderful, kind, genuine men. One of which was John, who is on this podcast last week. And another was my friend, Joel, who is out of Portsmouth and they call him the barefoot guy. And he's been playing music for a long time. He's just a really sweet, genuine guy. And the other is a friend named Michael and he's out of Plum Island. Met all of them at different open mics. But what happened that summer is that I had a series of interactions with them while also performing that culminated in realizing that other people had confidence in me being a musician, a Mm. professional singer songwriter that I didn't. And as I had this kind of continuous nudge from these other people, I started being like, all right, well, if they're so clear and so confident in my ability to succeed in this, why am I not? Right. Totally. And simultaneously, what was happening is I was 28. I was, uh, you know, six months shy of 29. And in my head, I was like, I'm going to turn 29 and then I'm going to turn 30 and then I'm going to be 40 and I'm going to wake up in 20 years and I'm going to regret that I never went for it, that I never gave it a shot, that I never Mm. challenged myself. And I would so much rather go for it and it not work out and learn from the experience than to regret never having tried. Oh my God. This is like a conversation that I live by. Like this is, <laughs> this is like my, my mantra is this conversation. Like I, I am so passionate about like going after something and like, even, even if it turns out like absolutely horrible, which yours mm-hmm. is not. Let's be clear that I'm not saying that, but I'm We're just still saying, getting like, started. So who knows? <laughs> but I've been, I've been like really doing the same type of thing, blowing up my, my life. We're around the same age too. And it's, mm-hmm. and, and it's there for the same reason where like people would be like, dude, how do you like feel cool about this? And I'm like, I 
don't feel cool. Like they're like, there's yeah. some days where I'm risking <laughs> heavy or like, like huge losses or like, I'm like, I, I don't feel good. I'm sleeping in my old guest bed right now. I'm not pumped right now, you know, but it's like, but the alternative is like what you just said, where it's like, I'm going to be in my thirties, then my forties, then my, oh, oh my God. And then I never went for it. And then it's like, damn, that's yeah. just a total different conversation to have that. Like, I'm just not willing to get there. Like that's well, and also the time. other dy- dynamic uh, that you're hinting at, which was really important for me, was am I going to make decisions rooted in fear? Mm. Like fear of failure, fear of inadequacy, fear of not being good enough, fear of lack of worth and value, fear of judgment, all those things that are percolating under the surface at this point in my life at you know 28 that were still pretty prevalent. Or am I going right. to shift perspectives and turn to abundance mindset, possibility mindset? what's possible mindset. And instead of letting, not that the fear disappeared, but it also, it also that, that shift in perspective opens up doors for possibility. So the fear is, is still going to be there. It's not going to disappear, but it doesn't mean I have to act by it or live by it or make decisions based in it. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, uh, like those, those make you make, you like make worse decisions when you're making decisions based off of fear instead of like there's a difference between fear like because like something like you're trying you know something's wrong with the gig or like something's wrong with a release or like these rtp codes that you're talking about right or you're being attacked by like a cheetah there's you know like there's very different fears yeah totally different fears well and when you for me at least when i the more that i feel the fear and do it anyway a very cliche saying um the less daunting the fear feels in the future. So it's, it's like stepping out of my comfort zone. What was my comfort zone before and stepping out of that was so different than the bandwidth that I have now to step out of my comfort zone because I've challenged it and I've broadened it and I've expanded it. So, so as I've stepped into things that were scary and risky, it also opens up doors to do other things that are it wouldn't even have been conceivable at the time and now right. are, are in my, within view, you know, they're in front of me and I can, I can almost touch them like, oh, they're not, it's not that hard. If I shift my perspective, if I get some altitude, if I look at it with an abundance perspective, if I look at it with possibility mindset and I leave scarcity thinking small-minded and fear-focused ideas at the back burner, like put those aside. You can still exist if you need to, but we're not going to make decisions based in that. Totally. Yeah. It's like, it's like the old, like little baby steps, but then like all of a sudden it's like a big thing, right? I don't know what the cool analogy is for that. There's one out there. Someone can tell me what's the cool analogy about baby steps becoming something really cool. But I think I, I'm sorry, Kameo, like all of that, I totally broke up your story though, as a full, <laughs> I just like pulled off of that. You were saying you had like three people that saw something in you that you didn't see yet in yourself. And they were mm-hmm. like, no, like for sure, like do music, go, mm-hmm. go at it. And then you started like really at that point, I'm not sure where you're going from it, but you were starting to at that point. Right. So that was that summer of 2018. And the, the third of those three interactions was with a guy with Joel from the Seco. So I, I met John, I think it was in the spring. Michael, it was during, it might've been in the, before I met John, but I, I met, I had already met John and I already had met Michael. And then in Joel, I was doing a songwriter circle and I was getting ready to leave. And I was like, basically saying like, man, I love this so much. It just feeds my soul. And he's like, well, you know, you could do it. Right. 
And it was just this light bulb moment of, oh, this is actually possible. This isn't this far-fetched, improbable idea. This is something I could attain. And so between that specific conversation and the three ways that I had experienced John, Michael, and Joel, I feel like that should be like a story, John, Michael, and Joel. <laughs> song. <laughs> the, the shift then started with, okay, if they see it, how do I start seeing it? What do mm. I do to show up differently in my own life in the way that I'm viewing myself? Um, combined with, like I said, I was going to be turning 29 and then 30 and then 40 and then 50. What does it look like to not live a regretting life? So end of summer, I was, I started actually trying to book some gigs. I started having more conversations about what it looks like to go full-time with music, talking to other people. Um, In January, I made the decision that this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, you know, when, I don't know exactly what date it's going to be, but around January was when I was really clear, okay, I'm going full-time with music. And so then I came up with a game plan. I love lists. I love organization. I love goals. I love structure in the midst of being a creative. So it was really helpful for me to kind of get down to brass tacks of things. Part of that also meant getting clear on what's my vision. Why am I going to do this? Why am I going full-time with music? Why does it matter to me? What do I have to offer other people? Um, You know, I don't want to be just another voice resounding in the ethers of of the world saying the same exact thing as other people. And I am my own person. I've been through my own experiences. So what is it that I can offer to others? Sure. So I spent a very long time pondering that, uh, turning it over in my head, really challenging myself. And what I came up with through conversations with some really trusted friends and mentors and kind of like wonderful life coach type friends uh, was that I... My vision with music, with performing, and with the way that I show up is to cultivate connection, solidarity, and hope. So when I write music, am I doing those three things? When I go to a gig and I perform, am I doing those three things? When I do a private concert, am I showing up to cultivate connection, solidarity, and hope in all of the things that I'm doing? When I'm recording, in any email or interaction. Wow. Um, and so that kind of became the the groundwork of making of how I made decisions moving forward. How was I going to go full time? What was I wasn't I knew I didn't want to just do cover gigs. I knew that if I was going to do music full time, it was that felt like and there's nothing wrong with doing cover gigs by any means. But I, for me, it was like cultivating connection, solidarity and hope by only playing at bars and breweries and playing just cover music wasn't sharing my story. It could still maybe elicit connection, solidarity, and hope in a different way. But that wasn't uh, the heart behind it for me. I get that. I totally Um, get that. And I'm the same way where like, I would never, ever, like I've seen the most ridiculous cover bands in the world and they just blow my mind how they're able to do what they do. But it's not for me. I don't enjoy, it's not, it doesn't fill me the same way. It just doesn't. Well, and I think there's something, I mean, Look, there are some incredible cover bands and also some really well-known artists that are singer-songwriters that uh, record covers, but they yes. record it in their own way. And it, it does emo and it does share and express a beautiful message. So there's nothing to detract from that. I just knew that at this point, if I was going to go for it, I was going to go for it. I wasn't going to like... It's just your own self-awareness of like, you're like, if I do this, this isn't going to be the way that is going to do what I want out of it. 
well, and I'm not going to half-ass it. Like it felt like, it felt like I was going to take a cop. It was going to be cop for me. It was a cop out to them. Sure. Just be like, Oh, well I'll, I'll play it safe and I'll just do cover gigs because the idea of sharing my own music was so vulnerable and so risky, but it also, that was what it meant for me to show up authentically. So I, yeah. So I talked to, I reached out to John. We recorded my first album at greenhouse recording studio. So my first album, Phoenix, the acoustic sessions, just me, my guitar, 10 songs, basically telling my, uh, I think somebody, there was a one reporter that called it like my coming of age story, but it was really like me shifting from like a child to being an adult and the ins and outs of that experience. And then I toured throughout the summer doing a house concert tour. So I played regular gigs and cover gigs in addition to this tour, but this tour was really important for me to share my original music, help people to get to know me as an artist, as a musician, again, lay the framework of what is, what is Kimeo doing? Oh, she's cultivating connection, solidarity and, and hope. Cool. Um, so that's kind of the, the beginning like stages and like getting started for, yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot that happened in that and it's kind of, it's kind of cool because we were talking before the show and I don't know even what brought it up when you were talking about it, but you're like, I want to, uh, Oh, you were talking about like looking into different part-time gigs to like help out right now. And you were just talking about like some traits that you saw in it. We were like, actually, I like how this functions as business and I want to apply this to my music. But like what you just said right there, you've, you've been doing that. You've already been doing that. Maybe it's new ideas and stuff, but like this, like this concept of having like a, like a mission statement and that's your vision and everything that I'm going to do is either going to like fall in line with that or it's not. I'm going to use that to make decisions to guide towards what I'm trying to achieve. That is business. Like that's number one in business. Like Mm. that, like I, I haven't heard many artists that I've interviewed say that they did that. And that's really and that's really a smart thing to do. And I think it's really guides what you're doing with more intention than I, I think like a lot of artists, you know, when they're writing their records or they're, they're doing these things that, that everyone has these stories that they share and people do amazing jobs putting these stories in like their, their journey into these records. But like mm-hmm. people who want to go full time as an artist, I think it's really important that they, focus on some business things like that. I talk about it a lot on this show because I want people to go full-time if they want to do it. And I want people to be able to do that and, you know, not be the starving artist because you don't have to be always, right? Nope. I would you know? say most of the time you don't have to be. Right. You don't have to be. It's just, it's, it's not true. Maybe for some ups and downs, but, um, but as a general rule, you, that's not, um, that's, that's not, th- there's this um, notion that that's what it means to be a full-time artist is that right. you should be a starving artist. And there's almost this, um, I guess, almost pride that people take in it. Um, they do. They do get a weird pride out of it. They do. No, no different than any other. You know, I, I think about um, like simple, so, like different aesthetics. You know, there's different styles. People have like the grunge look or they have mm. the hippie look with the, the Birkenstocks and I'm sort of in that camp uh, anyway, but, but there's sort of this like, Oh, my, my Birkenstocks are falling apart. There's some pride in that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or, or I've got, you know, my nails are, my black nail polish is super chipped. Ironically, they actually are right now. So my grunge look is on, you know, it's, it's on par with what Mm, I'm proud of the fact that it's grungy looking. 
I haven't showered in a week. Like I'm proud of that because it represents <laughs> this like ideal behind. So it's still fitting into these almost paradigms or these expectations that people have placed on different categories. So I, I not only hear what you're saying, but I think it's important to propose to creatives that there is a different way of doing it and that they have the choice in how it goes. There's, I think there's uh, with, with uh, I talked about abundance mindset a little while ago versus scarcity thinking. And I, I would propose that for many artists that live in the narrative that they are a starving artist, or that's just the way that it is, there's simultaneously a scarcity conversation going on. There's a lack of, um, there's, uh, I don't know how to phrase it, almost like they're, they're living within a certain narrative that prevents them from seeing other possibilities or believing in the fact that they might be worth making more than they are. Or, or what if there's other ways of making money and not necessarily having to worry about paycheck to paycheck or yes. gig to gig or, oh, I didn't get enough tips, but they gave me a free beer, yep. you know, <laughs> and almost demanding your worth from the way that you choose gigs and the way that you choose um, to communicate with other businesses. And showing up for yourself, I guess. That's something that I've, I would say I've been learning a lot throughout COVID. I had only been full-time. I went full-time June 1st, 2019. And Congrats. less than a year later, we got hit with COVID. And I, in so many ways, obviously it's tragic and there have been far too many deaths and there's so many things associated with that and so many struggles. What I have found over the last year for myself is that in the midst of the really low times of COVID, I've also had to come up against myself as a musician, as a business mm. person and, and reckon with what am I doing? Why am I doing it? So with the, you had mentioned that the way that I started my business was very businesslike, which is funny because I've never taken a single business course in my life. Yeah. Um, intuitive. So, well, and I have great friends around me, so that's helpful, but it's one thing to have a clear vision. It's one thing to be putting out music. It's one thing to be gigging. It's a different, it's a different thing to treat. I'm realizing I'm learning that it's, it's a different approach to treat being a musician as a business and running it as a company. And I don't just mean having a mission statement. I mean, um, how do I run my social media? Am I up on the latest trends on social media? How do I run my finances? Am I actually learning about the best way to file taxes as my own business? Do I, do I, I, you know, I file a self-employed, how do I bring that into it? How am I communicating with other business and what gigs am I accepting? Do the gigs that I accept actually align with the vision that I say that matters to me? Or am I just taking it because it's another $150 that I can put mm. in the bank? Yep. I'm going on a tangent now. <laughs> no, it's, this is all good. I like it. I'd stop you if I was, if I was getting mad. I, I'm, I'm hanging out. Uh, well, but, but to bring it back, there's, I think in order... I suspect that for a lot of musicians, the ability to thrive is available to them. In fact, I would say that's available to all creatives. Um, I would say that most of the time we are our biggest limiters Mm. in success. I would agree with that. Yeah. And it's not, 
it's not simple. Like we like just to make that clear to people out there who are listening to the show that might feel that way or have experienced it. It's definitely not simple. It's no, definitely not easy. where it's like, it just flips a switch and like, you're like, Oh shit, I could have been doing this full time the whole time. Well, what the hell, you know, I'll go out tomorrow and do it. It's like, I'm, I'm still not full time. I have a show that I interview people about the things that they're after. I'm not full time yet. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, you know, I, I, uh, it's not, it's not simple like that, but it, but it is, you know, when you're looking for a way to do something, it's very interesting how there is a way that starts popping up to form it because you're figuring out, like I did an episode specifically on this, like look at how instead of, I, I don't know what my own jargon is, but like, I was like how to look at like, basically like how, how can this happen? Not like why, not like what is this thing? And mm-hmm. you can find a way to do it. And usually you're right. You're definitely right where you were talking about those three people where you're like, they all see this in me. Why don't I see this in me? Mm. I think as a creative, like, you know, I get over that and then I come back to it too, though. Like I get back into that mode again, you get to like the different next wall of like, shit, I can't, you know, I, I know I did these things that I broke through, but I can't do this thing. And then, and then someone if else we like, could only map Yo, out you can do my- that. You're like, Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can. All right. I'm going to do it. And then you do it for another two years and you're like, well, I've been doing this and this. And then, and then, then, then it takes someone else to come up to you and be like, yo, look at what you did for 10 years. And you're like, oh shit, I did do a lot of stuff for 10 years. Yeah, yeah no, I came a long way. And then you're like, yeah, stop being a dink and go do this. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then it's like cycles of, of having to get past yourself. And I feel like that is number one, uh, number one issue out there is like straight up like me versus me, one versus one. And you also, you brought something up that I find interesting, which is this, the idea of being stuck in the hustle mm. because before, so you were saying, you know, stop and reflect on what you've done the last 10 years, you know, a buddy telling you to, to reflect on what you've done for the last 10 years, that sort of thing. The other thing I, I, and I actually f- fell prey to it even in just the first, you know, 10 months before COVID hit that I was doing music full time was this tunnel vision of really being focused on the hustle and booking the next gig and making sure that I had, you know, two to three gigs a weekend and content and then almost getting into this cycle of the same sort of venues playing the same uh, circuit pretty consistently, but not hitting pause to say, what have I done? Where am I at right now? How, how is what's, and I've, I say this, I've been doing some uh, freelance consulting for social media, like coaching. And one of the things that I ask that I had learned from another friend is what's working, what's not working. Mm. And just asking those questions, what's working and not what's not working because to hit pause and reflect on what you've done, there's a lot that you can celebrate and be proud of. And then you can also ask the question, what's not working? What needs to shift moving forward? And that for me has been really helpful as I think about the word integrity, because if I have a mission statement, if I have a vision and I want to be living by that motto, that's about integrity for me. Because when I'm not doing those things that I'm out of integrity and if I hit pause and I say what's working and what's not working, I get to see, I get, I get to notice. It's an opportunity to say, Oh, these things I've been doing great here. Like, let's just like celebrate these. And I get to say, okay, how do I, how do I shift? I'm a little off the train tracks here. My integrity is pointing towards my vision and I'm, and I'm not at my vision or in alignment with that, that I'm a little bit out of of integrity either with myself or with others. So how do I shift back onto the train track? and move forward to keep going towards that goal. For me, COVID and 
losing gigs and having to hit pause has ultimately led me to realize, oh, I got stuck in the trap of just doing two to three cover gigs a weekend and stuck in that mindset of scarcity or stuck in that mindset of that that's the only way that I can make money and that cover gigs are the only way that I'm going to have success or paycheck to paycheck. But that's not what my goal is. That's not what my vision is. So how do I get creative? How do I take these obstacles and use them as opportunities? No, I mean, that is important. I think, you know, freelance life, gig workers, musicians, artists, creatives, like we all in our own perspective way, I think that the life can be like that. Even when you're running it like a business and you're running a good business, it's just not, it's, there's nothing given to you. Like you, you always are kind of hustling to keep the machine going. And I think it's really easy. Like I, I picture it as like like an old train where you're you're taking the coal and throwing it into the fire to like make it so the train keeps going. It's like you need every once in a while. Like it's like you have to keep the coal in the fire. Like you mm-hmm. have to keep that train going. You can't just stop. But like every once in a while, you can like let that burn for a little bit to try to come up with maybe there's a better fuel I could throw in there that just makes it more efficient. And in that time that you took to find that new fuel you came up with that and then you're back on track anyway, like nothing happened. So like the train didn't stop, but like or you, even you if use it, that period to like find out, like, how do I do this in a different way? Or like, or how do I reflect on it? But you can't do that if you're just shoveling the coal, you can't, mm-hmm. it's impossible, but it's really easy to do that. You know? Well, and, and when, what happens when you do that is that you don't, you're so busy shoveling and looking at the coal that you're not looking at where you're going. Totally. You're too preoccupied with the anxiety and the fear and the angst around keeping the fire going when it's like, all right, well, it's your train. Like it's, you created this train. So if you hit pause, <laughs> what's the pro? I mean, obviously there's some financial things that, that come into play there. There's some, some very real, real aspects to, to pause and ponder on, but yeah. I'm certain that someone could find one or two days in a row, maybe like a Monday and a Tuesday because musicians are usually gigging on the weekends or a Tuesday and a Wednesday to really hit pause and just sit down with themselves and be still and look at their game plan and look at their goals and look at where, you know, what's working and what's not working to get an alignment so that they're doing the thing that makes them thrive. And that, or so they're doing the things that, that bring them joy and so that they are thriving in things that bring them joy. Cause I could be a really great cover gig musician. I could. That doesn't mean that that's what's going to give me joy. Right. So what so. would you say, Kameo? Like you said that you had that pause, you've changed some things, you know, you've done things different in that time. What would you say to some, you know, local artists out there? Maybe they're not where you're at right now. Maybe they're at the same spot. Like what are some things that you saw in the day-to-day life or adjustments you made or, or advice that you could give them of, what what's working and what what doesn't work and in, in being a you know a local artist going after this stuff mm, that's a good question i will share my experience but i i want to be aware that everyone's everyone has their own vision and their purpose and their mission for why they're doing being a creative so it's not going to be a completely transferable experience or sure. um, framework what i've already said as far as hitting pause and checking what are you in are you in integrity with yourself and with what your vision is and with what your mission is and then if you're not it's not a judgment conversation it's not a self-condemnation conversation it's an opportunity conversation 
okay, how, you said it, the how, how do I get there? Not, can I get there? Mm. Of course you can get there. It might be hard and you might have to move some boulders around, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. Right. So I think for me, hitting pause was really, I mean, it was involuntary, but it was also really, really helpful. Yeah. And in some ways, thankfully, I think we are in the last, hopefully in the last leg of COVID, which means this is almost like a prime final moment to hit pause on ourselves and, and really reflect until things kind of get back to normal a bit. So hitting pause, checking in with your integrity. If you don't have a reason or a vision or a mission for why you're doing what you're doing, it does not have to be mine. It shouldn't be mine. It should be you know their own. But start with that because that's going to drive everything you do and that's going to keep you in integrity and it's going to be your compass. That's going to be your north, north star to keep you moving forward. As far as what was working and wasn't for me leading up to COVID, burnout's a real thing. Yes. I, I don't know how musicians do cover gigs five nights a week year round. If that's what feeds their soul, if that's their vision, if that's their mission, and that's what makes them thrive, awesome. But being, again, that same thing, hitting pause, reassessing. So for me, what wasn't working was getting, I got stuck in that loop of doing the cover gigs and thinking that that was the only way that I could, could make it. Right. So what I've shifted, so that wasn't working. What was working was writing and performing my music. I felt really good, and I still do, when I perform honestly and authentically my own music because I experience with the audience that I am cultivating connection, solidarity, and hope. So I'm, I'm really clear that my, it was not a mistake to do music as a profession, um, that my vision is possible, attainable, and is currently being attained when I do those things. So that was working for me surrounding myself with other like-minded artists or and artists that are ahead of me that I can learn from, grow from, creating a community of musicians and creatives and not just musicians, but uh, even being close with my producer, Brad, or John, um, Sam, the engineer here, like he like is brilliant. And I'm, I've learned a lot from him as well as other musicians, some that I've played gigs with, some that I've gone to see. So surrounding myself with a community I realized that was working because when COVID hit, it was really, I was lacking that in a lot of ways. And so realizing, oh, that was, that was working. And I missed that. And then I guess I would say the the last thing for me was setting boundaries because I, and this, this coincides with treating my business like a business. What does it mean to know which gigs to say yes to and which gigs to say no to? Mm. So as I've thought about, okay, the, the vaccine's going out, people are getting vaccinated. I'm going to have my COVID vaccine once it's available. I'll be able to go and perform in public and be not concerned about it. Hell yeah. Do I just say yes to all the gigs that are available or try to book gigs everywhere I possibly can? Or do I hold myself to a higher standard? And do I make decisions based on what's going to actually help me thrive and moving forward? So as I've thought about this release, I, I figured, all right, I'm used to doing house concerts. What does it look like to do it virtually? And there's a, there's a woman that had written a book about house concerts. John introduced me to it and she had gone to a virtual model. So I learned from her, worked it in so that it fit for me as, as a musician. 
and I've been touring virtually. Now it's not the same as performing in person, but I made it work. I figured it out and I've been growing and evolving as I've been doing that. I've been realizing, man, I just want to play my own music. I just love it. I don't mind doing cover gigs. I don't mind. There's certain songs that are really fun or when the audience is really engaged and they get really into it, there's this great back and forth that happens. So there's a lot of beauty that happens. Absolutely. And I am really getting clear on, for me, being a musician means performing my own music and saying yes to gigs where that's the priority and saying no to gigs where it's not. Saying yes to gigs that are fitting within the framework of what my vision is and what things I stand for versus just saying yes to a gig because it's an opportunity to make $150. I also think stepping off of the scarcity bandwagon is helpful. I have been full-time with music. Me getting a part-time job does not diminish the fact that I'm a creative, would not diminish my, my goal and my main priority being performing and sharing my music with others. In fact, for me, where I'm at, it would enable me to do that more right. and to be more selective about who and where and when I perform and what I create. So again, those are things that worked for me and things that I'm shifting um, taking seminars online or on HubSpot to learn about social mar- social media marketing or content strategy creations and uh, just all these things that are, if I ran a business and had employees, I'd be doing all of these things. So why yes. am I not just doing it already? It's really hard to do like the self-discipline that you need to enact that when you're not technically running a business, but it's like, you're right. Like there's no difference, but but like the mindset and like it takes a lot of self-discipline to organize. Like this is the day that I do working on, you know, like I think like literally in my calendar because I wasn't, because I mm-hmm. wasn't doing it. I recognized it. I have like a day that's like a in my business day. It's like, this is the day that you work or I'm sorry. And on my business day, this is the day that you work on the business and you cannot do any technician work. Like you cannot work in a mix. You cannot work in like fixing your website. Maybe sometimes that could be on the business day, but it's like, taking those seminars or doing those things to work on stuff that is necessary. Like you, like you have to do that stuff, but no one's telling you to do that because you're your own boss. And that's really exactly. hard to do. It's, it's really very hard. hard. It's not easy. And I didn't learn about it until somebody else. And I, like I said, until I was looking at other jobs and realizing, I don't really know all that much about this, but I would love to get into that kind of, uh, area of a job. So let me look this up and see how it works. I'm like, wait a minute, this applies to my business. This applies to my job. So why don't I do it now? I, I think about it in terms of other professions. You have teachers, you have social workers, you have doctors that are required to take like certified credits, a certain number of credits every few years in yeah. order to stay up to on to the latest things like that. Yeah. The latest medical practices or medical evolutions, the latest teaching strategies or new things that are being taught differently because of different developmental disabilities, if people have those, or within social work, the best practices for serving clients. Those are required things for licensed professionals. So why should I treat myself any differently? Right. If I want to level up and I want to keep growing and evolving and to show others that I take this seriously so that I then am treated seriously, that requires me uh, stepping up and treating myself as if I'm worth it. hundred percent. Sometimes easier said than done, right? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Daily. I come up against that. 
That's all tough stuff. Yeah. Well, so I guess like I want to talk about the single that you have coming out because it's pretty heavy hitting topic. I mean, it's, it's, it totally goes with what you're saying where like, it's really a bright song. It's such a, a celebration, but it's about your father passing when you were younger and that played into a lot of this music stuff. I'm, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that other viewers or listeners out there have some pretty deep stuff that happens in life. Like how, how did that affect you? Obviously as a person, if you want to share on that, but creatively and and how did that impact you as an artist, I guess it's coming through obviously in this single here that you're sharing later in life here, but. Sure. I, when I, so a little backstory, when I was eight, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer and when I was 15, he passed away. Some other things to know, I'm the youngest of six. So I grew up and it's a Brady Bunch family. And I, as I mentioned, like I had an eating disorder when I was in college. So there was a, there have been a lot of other things going on in addition to my dad's sickness and his passing. I mentioned earlier that I, I lived my life in this paradigm of people pleasing, of performing, of being the teacher's pet, being the best student, getting straight A's, pulling myself up by the bootstraps, suppressing my emotions, making sure I had a smile, all of these ways of coping for myself to keep myself safe, but also because I thought that's what was expected of me. Right. When I went to college, I brought my, this is a funny way of saying it, but I brought my dad's guitar with me to college. The funny thing about that is that my dad didn't actually play guitar, but he had a guitar that he wanted to learn. And because of that's like even more, that's like even more, (laughs) you know, like there's totally like playing someone else's guitar. You feel sorry to like take away from your story. You feel like a life energy when you play someone else's guitar, you feel that when they've, when they, that's a piece of them. But like also even like that story of like what you were just saying right there, that's powerful. And well, it definitely added to, it added a dimension. Certainly. I, my dad wanted to learn to play because my brother played, but he, if anyone has experienced somebody else with cancer or going through chemo, he had a lot of issues with his fingers. And so he wasn't, he couldn't really feel his fingers. So he couldn't play. Um, So he wanted to, but he never was able to. So then I took his guitar to college and I started teaching myself. And that was when I I wrote my first song with music um, with that guitar. So when I, Uh, fast forward a little bit, going through my eating disorder, that was basically because I hadn't learned how to deal with or cope with emotions. I hadn't learned how to allow myself the space or the freedom to feel things. Music has always been the easiest, safest way for me to express emotions without feeling overwhelmed or scared of them. Same. When I, yeah, which I think is very common for for musicians or creatives in general, uh, whether you're a whatever your medium is just creating in general, general for people is typically a safe way of processing through things. Yeah. So my dad died when I was 15 last year, I turned 30 last January, which meant that that year after, after 2020 meant that I would have lived more years without my dad than he was a part of. Wow. And so there was this shift that was happening and around father's day last year, I worked on writing a song And I was, I'd written songs about my dad in the past and they were definitely more sorrowful, more pain 
focused or really about like the actual like days around when he had passed. When I wrote this one, though, there was the shift for me was, yes, the, the grief is still there in this song. That doesn't. And it was important for me to, to make sure that that was true, that when you lose someone so profound in your life and so significant to you, you're never going to feel whole again. You're never going to feel like that missing piece comes back. What does happen, though, is there is healing. It takes a long ass time, but you eventually do experience healing and you find, at least for me, I found myself experiencing gratitude and appreciation and joy and reflecting when I wrote this song, it was really a reflection on both the pain of losing my dad, what the stages of grief were that I went through after his passing, while also acknowledging I'm who I am, not just because of who he was in my life, but I'm who I am because he wasn't right. in my life. Right. So, yeah. So that's kind of the context behind the song and writing it from a musical standpoint. I wrote it on the, on his guitar, actually. And I had come out with Wildflower at the end of last summer, August 18th is when I released Wildflower, which was a full production song. It was the first full production song I'd ever done. I worked with Brad Myrick at a Concord and recorded it at the Greenhouse Recording Studio. And that for me was a shift as an artist. I wanted to go from, in this direction I'm still going in, which is from singer songwriter to folk pop artist, Mm. really bringing in the, the grassroots, the, the grounding of folk music, which I love with the kind of upfront vocals, beauty, etherealness that you have in pop music. And I just love the merge of those two things. Love it. So Wildflower was my first expression of that. And as I thought about this song, the beauty of this song actually was I, for the first, not, I did it some with Wildflower, but I was really clear that I needed to trust my intuition. I needed to trust my gut and I needed to like be confident about the vision I had for the single. Mm. I knew the way that I wanted to sound. I didn't know how to do that. That's what I hired my producer for. (laughs) I don't know how to make it sound like this, but I needed to sound like this. (laughs) The beauty of an audio individual. An interesting life to live. Right. (laughs) There was one specific part where I, I had told Brad, I was like, I want like this thing in the background where it's like someone's calling to you from the mountains, but they're like far away, but they're close at the same time. But I want that like in the song. And so (laughs) he had to take that and figure out how to transfer that from Kimeo lingo to like an actual digital. That is the, that is the talk though. Like, like my wife will hear me on the phone. Like when I'm doing, like I'm going over like revision notes or something like that. Or on like talking with an artist trying to figure out like why they did or did not like something. The only way to explain like these noises and sounds like are these weird, weird analogies, <laughs> weird words. You're like, you're like, I want it to sound like there's a dog in the yard, but like you don't know if it's a dog or not. Like you had some <laughs> alcohol that night and like you, you, you think that it's a dog. And you think it's a dog, but it's not actually a dog. Like, and you go outside and there's nothing there. <laughs> and there's a street light and the lights are out, except for this one like flickering street light. that sound somehow. <laughs> and that's what it really is. Yeah. They're, they're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to use a synth. Yeah. And like, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Like you're, or like you like explain it as like, I need it to sound like round and like really fat, but like, needs to like have something that like is gritty on the side or something like, and you're like, you're, it's crazy. The conversation, it doesn't sound crazy when you're saying it, but my wife will be listening to be like, 
Were you talking about music? Or were we talking about like a Stephen King film or like yeah. something you were buying from the grocery store? Like, I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about on the phone when you're just like explaining yeah. through that production stuff. It's crazy. Well, and I'm very, I mean, I, I know you heard the song cause we, we sent it to you ahead of time, but Brad and Sam did a killer job. I mean, we, Brad and I worked endlessly on pre-production for this song. We, I mean, we had so many sessions far more than with wildflower because we, so we, when we went into the studio, we basically had most of the song tracked mm. and ready to go. We needed to do vocals. We needed to do, gosh, I'm trying to even remember. Uh, so we, we did it. We had a couple other people. We had, we hired some session musicians and they sent in their tracks. But when we actually tracked the song, I think we only tracked like a little bit of instrumentation, very minimal and then vocals. And I was really clear too. I was with Wildflower. I, there are certain parts where I hear myself singing and I was like, oh, I could have done better than that. And I was really challenging myself to step it up with this song because it's so personal, because it was not, it feels like it's not just a representation of me, but it's a story I'm trying to tell about my dad. It's in memoriam of him. And so how do I honor him well with this thing that I'm putting out A lot out of pressure on yourself. A lot. A lot. <laughs> But the beauty of that was I challenged myself to step up and to be better than I thought I could be. And after 125 takes of the vocals, I listened to that song and there's not a single word I would retract. There's not one little tilt that I would get rid of. There's not an ounce of inauthenticity throughout the vocals that we've recorded. So not only was it a level up in, I think that the song is, feels like a level up as far as what I'm putting out as a folk pop artist. It also was a, a level up for me and what I'm capable of and, and what it's, what's possible for me as an artist and to trust that my intuition is trustable. You know, I, I, that there's something to be said for a gut feeling about. Yes. Something. I, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I think something that stopped me for a long time is that I didn't trust my gut and it yeah. made me overanalyze <laughs> things and it made me make the wrong decisions because I would let way too much feedback come from people that didn't know the situation. I would analyze things or read about things and let other people like, but none of it was like in the situation. The gut is in the situation. And the thing about your gut is the gut is like, it's, it's past experiences. It's, it's like a lot more going on because like, you know, even like where people talk about people being good at sales and things like being able to read all those body language cues and all those things like that, all of that is your gut. Like all of that is like, things that are happening that are beyond what you're conscious of right now. It's a subliminal piece of you that's built off of more than just you being awake and you reading that book the other day. Your, your gut is, is a culmination of you over your 15 years in the industry or your 20 years of doing this or like all these experiences, that's your gut. And that's why you need to trust it because it allows you to make decisions really quickly and they're almost always right if you have the right experience in it. Like, I don't know. I, I really, I, I, I wish I felt that way earlier in and I, I would have been able to make bigger decisions much quicker. I, same I, for me. I mean, like I said, this was the first song where I, there is nothing that I've done for this song, for this release, for this tour that has, that I've not forced myself to listen to my gut. Yeah. Um, I used to, uh, what I would do is I would know what my gut was saying or my intuition was was pretty strong about something. You heard but for it. some reason, I would then go to other people 
to get affirmation about what my intuition was already telling me. And if they differed, then I would question my intuition rather than saying, okay, well, what if that one person of the 10 that I asked that don't align with my intuition? Yeah. Maybe they're not the one that's the best person to give me advice on this. Right. And sometimes they are, but, but having the two of them is like a total equal weight in the scale of like, let's see what happens here. Like that. And I would challenge that and even say, give your intuition a bit more. Yeah. credit then. And, and again, I, I want to clarify the difference. There's intuition and then there's old negative um, fear-based scarcity conversations that are at play. But if you really get still with yourself, it's, it's pretty easy. And you're, I've, I'm learning. <laughs> you can really discern the difference between yes. the two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, so I have to hit my last five questions that I do to end the episode. Beautiful. I can't wait. All right. So that's what we're up to is I asked the same five questions every episode. In the hundredth episode, I actually took like a mesh up of like one of the questions of like 40 to 60 people. And I just put it over and over because I'm, I'm finding that every different creative that I ask these questions, they're at different stages doing different creatives, but there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences that I get from asking and pointed. So mm. first question is why do you wake up and do what you do every single day versus any other thing that you could possibly do in the world? Mm. Uh, are they supposed to be rapid fire? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, don't think on it too hard and right, don't right. answer it crazy um, long. But you, you can take a second to, to think. I the, sh- the shortest answer for me is because I think it's one of the best ways that I know how to love others while loving myself. Mm. Cool. I could probably say a million other things, but we'll go with that one. No, but that's an awesome one. I don't think we've heard that before. (laughs) What would be along the way, say you could give this, the thing that you learned as a lesson to someone as like a a food or something, like they instantly got the lesson. The biggest mistake that you've made along the way, because I know that we learn amazing things from mistakes, but if you Mm. could give this lesson to someone somehow, be like, don't do this thing because this really sucked. What would be one thing that you saw as like either biggest mistake or the shittiest thing along the way that you've learned from? I'm going to stay a bit more psychological or, or uh, philosophical, I suppose. I would say I would encourage people not to doubt their worth and value as well as to trust that they do have something to offer hmm. and that what they, what they have to offer does matter. So biggest mistake would be to go against that. Yeah, because then you're making, again, we talked about this before, you'd be making decisions out of like a scarcity thinking or a playing small. And when we play, when I play big, when I show up as if I'm worth it and I matter and what I have to offer matters, I'm also setting examples, an example for someone else to also treat themselves as if they matter. Wicked important. Yeah. So important because someone probably did that for you, right? Some did. You said you're three people. It's yeah, the same yeah, for I, me. I, and it was not something that I, I mean, this is still really new for me, which is probably why it's coming it, to, to truly live as if I have worth and value is a new shift for me. Yeah. And it makes a huge world of a difference. So I would a hundred percent encourage people to, to trust their worth and value. Yeah. I, I, I say like a lot on here, a lot of the podcasts are things of like, how can I say something to five years ago, me, because I keep learning things like that, or I keep feeling things like that. Mm. and. Uh, there's always people in your life that if you're, if you're going after these types of things, there's usually somebody or some buddies that you see come in that light and you go, Oh my God, I can 
show up in that light as well. And you're, you're saying this is a way for me to try. I want to, I, I want to show up that way so that someone can see that and then also do that too. Yeah. Well, and it's both, it's both for myself and for others. I don't want to like, I don't want to like say like, it's just about other people. It has to do with myself too, because it also changes the way that I trust myself and trust my integrity and trust my gut and create and show up and interact with other people. It completely informs those things. But when I look at these people that I'm empowered by and I'm inspired by, it's them living like fully authentically, regardless of what people think, owning their worth and value. And that to me is one of the most inspiring things that I've seen. And it makes me want to do that more. Same. Same. Flip side to that. What's the best idea you've ever had or like the best thing along the way? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, That's a good question. Sometimes that's harder. Mm. Yeah. We talked about this before as, you know, uh, celebrating your victories, if you will. Best victory that you've thought of so far. Yeah, thus far, because I also have some ideas for the future that I won't step into because they haven't happened yet. Um, but I, I think I would say within music, I'm going to stay in the paradigm of music. I, I would say choosing to go full-time and trust that and not live a life of regrets, but deciding to go full-time in music. Yep. Hell yeah. So what would be a resource? It could be a book, a movie, a podcast, like articles on the web. It could be some of these seminars from HubSpot. What's a, what's a resource that you'd recommend to the, or resources that you really recommend to the audience? It depends on what they're looking for. Uh, John probably said some of these last week. I think he probably would have said Ari Herstan's book, How to Make It in the yeah, Music Business, yeah, the New Music Business. Mm-hmm. He might have said the book 18 Minutes. Um, he didn't say that, but I've heard him talk about that to me before. Yep. So if you I recommend it. I'll, I'll include it. In this so point. I heard of it because of him. So that was, that's been very helpful for me as far as personal things for me, like personal growth has then bled into the way that I've shown up in my music. So a couple of books that I've just recently read that have been super helpful, Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown and Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Both of those books have been really helpful. I think the target audience is, is typically more feminine, but I think it's 100% applicable to anyone because it's basically about what I said before, choosing to live your authentic life regardless of what expectations or rules or rigidity that other people try to impose upon you. Right. And as a creative, you're always doing that with what you're putting into the world. But what if we, what if we don't just own our worth and value with the things that we're creating, but we do that for ourselves? So those two books were really profound just this past year. As far as resources musically, some things that I've gathered along the way as far as practical things is uh, I recently discovered the beauty of HubSpot Academy, and that has free courses that you can take to learn Mm -hmm. about different things around business, which is fabulous. They're like multiple lessons for each course. That's been really helpful. Wow. And then- um, That's cool. That hasn't been mentioned on here before. Yeah. So HubSpot Academy, It's I think it's more for- a, a different sect of businesses, but it's still applicable information for sure. And it's free. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say that's probably more of the digital side of things. So 18 minutes untamed, braving the wilderness and HubSpot Academy. Awesome. Those all sound awesome. And I don't think that a lot of them have been on here before. So people right. who are listening or watching, those will be on the show notes of this podcast down below waking up from work.com slash show notes. Kamea will also have a page next week that will have all those links as well if you're old school like me and sometimes use websites. But uh, so last I referenced month, one. So yes, I do use them. <laughs> I know. 
I'm, I feel my aging happen, but uh, <laughs> I'm feeling it. So last question is the easiest, Kameo. Uh, definitely people, I got to listen to her single tonight. You haven't listened to it yet. I've heard it, but it's awesome. So, but as a whole, like where do people find you? Where do they stay up to date with you? Like what, what links do people keep up with if they want to listen to your music, keep up with you as a person? Where do they go check out this and, and just stuff in general? I suspect you'll put these in the show notes too. So I'll, I'm going to list a handful of them. So if you don't get it through the conversation, they'll be in the notes. Right. Uh, my website is kimayomusic.com. So K-I-M-A-Y-O music.com. My Facebook and Instagram are both at Kimayo Music. So easy to find me there. Uh, and then two other places that, I mean, I'm on Spotify and Amazon. So wherever you listen to streaming music, just search Kimayo Music or Kimayo. Sure. And then I have a YouTube channel, which is titled Kimeo Music, and I have a Patreon page as well. So if people are interested in being um, monthly supporters to get behind the scenes stuff, like getting to know me more on a personal level, early access to things, that sort of stuff. And that's if you search uh, patreon.com slash Kimeo Music, it's there. So it's all the same Kimeo Music. Kimeo Music. Cool. Awesome. Well, those will be in the show notes, people, if you want to check it out, which you should. And Kameo, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I had only met you in passing at gigs and like out and about at your shows and everything like that. So it was really awesome to hang and like rap on some stuff on here. Like this was awesome. Yeah, I, I love things. If you, as you get to know me more, you'll learn that I thoroughly enjoy deep conversations and reflecting and pondering and Pontificating, so all of this was wonderful for me as well. I really appreciate you having me. I'll go there. I will. Yeah. I'm the last one, I'm the last one to <laughs> we'll do round two. I'm, I'm Get the bell started. Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everyone that has watched this and anyone that stuck through the whole time and heard any of my bad jokes or whatever I'm about. I appreciate you more than you know. So, thank you, everyone out there too. Thank you so much. <laughs>